Welcome back to the Manufacturing Come Up. I'm your host, Malachi Greb. Here today, we have a spe special guest and a entrepreneurial entrepreneur who's had a heck of a career run, Mitch Free. How's it going? Hey, Malachi. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks for, and, for inviting me today. Yeah, no problem. And, and with a company name that I can barely pronounce as, <laughs> as most English words, Ziki. Yeah. Can you yeah. give us a rundown of what that is? Yeah, so so Ziki is my fourth business, and and over the wow. years, over the years, I acquired a lot of domain names. And one of the things I've learned is a lot of times when you create a business, it's going to end up being something different than what you first intended. Gotcha. So so if so if you name it something, or in my case, name it something a little bit innocuous, mm. then no matter where the build it, the business morphs you can brand that name relative to the business that you're in. And so I was Peru when I started it, I, I had some other ideas of what I thought it was going to be. And I was looking through all the domain names I had acquired over the years. And I had a lot of three letter and four letter domain names. And this was the only one I could pronounce. So I started to pronounce Zaichi, Zaichi, Zaichi. So I settled on Ziki, Z-Y-C-I. But I had a lot of like JQPRs and things that, were short, but I couldn't make a name. And then right. one day I Googled it and it said, Ziki is the meaning of life in Polish. Now I'm mm. not Polish, but at least there's, you know, somebody. Some, it means something somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I like how you mentioned that like a business morphs after its creation and, and doesn't necessarily become exactly what you anticipated it to be. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, because what happens is I, I'm a big fan of starting with an MVP, a minimum viable product or service, and you get that out in the market. And then as customers begin to adopt and work with you, then opportunities present themselves and they begin to sort of direct you or to, hey, can you do this for me? And that turns out to be the things that are hard to find, mm -hmm. right? Which yeah. turns out to be finding a niche in a business. And so I'm a big fan of getting out with an MVP, uh, and, and and then and then letting the business find its groove. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, like Elite Automation is kind of just in the past like year and a half has started to navigate into like the robotic welding space, and it's been because of that same thing. It's mm -hmm. you know a lot of customers are struggling to find uh, the weld fixtures, yeah. right? And so it's actually the weld fixtures on why we're winning the capital projects. But it's because either companies don't want to do it or they're just charging a ridiculous price because if they are going to do it, they're going to make a lot of money off of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So as a serial <laughs> entrepreneur, from the beginning, like what, where did your entrepreneurial journey really start? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And, 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 and you know what? I, I never really started off in life thinking I was or would be an entrepreneur. I just worked at things that I loved. And so I, I initially... Um, went to college for engineering and I failed miserably in the first semester. So I quit. But in that first semester at college at engineering school, we, there was a machine shop class and that's what I enjoyed. I hated going to the math and the English, but I liked going in that machine shop class. So I quit college and I went to the trade school and took the machining course and went to work at a, at a, at a shop right out of trade school that was doing really cool stuff and, they had an automotive division and an aerospace division, and um, they were just getting into CNC in the in the 1980s. 
And and the guy, the, the owner was like, hey, you know, you're a young guy. Do you have any interest in computers and CNC? And I'm like, absolutely. So uh, so I uh, cut my teeth running Mazak, figuring it out as I went on pretty complex stuff, um, at least for the day. It was you know, three, three, uh, 3D parts for um, metal forming dies and some cool aerospace parts. Uh, from there, I got recruited to uh, Northwest Airlines after about six years in my apprenticeship. Uh, Northwest Airlines wanted to set up rapid manufacturing for aircraft parts. Uh, they had too many airplanes just sitting waiting for parts. And so yeah. uh, they said, if we have an airplane waiting for a part and we can make it, we want to do that. Because yeah. you know, canceling flights is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I set up a, a set up a, a shop to do reverse engineering and machining, mm-hmm. uh, and and then from there they moved me into a role. I, I was just a guy that got shit done. So they put me in a role as a project manager in aircraft acquisition. So I led aircraft acquisitions. Uh, and then I was leading a huge portion of the technical operations of the airline globally. Uh, got to live in some cool places. I lived in, in Israel and quickly in Toulouse, France, and, and in Dallas, Texas, and in Montreal, Canada, with airplane deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, then there was an opportunity to start a CAD a CAD software business, CAD CAM software business, uh, back in the um, back when it was first coming to PCs. And uh, before that, CAD had been on, on more mainframe or mini computers. And so uh, it was an opportunity, and, and I was scratching my head, like, do I go be an entrepreneur or do I keep my cushy executive job at the airline? And, 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 I, and I rationalized that I could always get a job, but entrepreneurial opportunities don't come along that often, that are especially unique. And so I, I quit my job at the airline. I built up a customer base of 3D CAD customers and CAM customers doing machining. Great business. And then um, I was always thinking how to build community and keep that customer base happy. And one day after introducing some a customer that was designing things to one of my machine shop customers, we'd had a lunch meeting. I was driving out of the parking lot and I heard a commercial for LendingTree.com. Request your mortgage, let lenders compete. And that was a eureka moment for me. And, and, and I went home and I, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, I sat down and I wrote on over a long weekend the first version of MFG.com, oh. which is a system to connect buyers and suppliers with manufacturing services. Oh. Now, I wasn't super savvy with, with software development. I was decent, but not good with database. So I used a flat file. And if anyone's familiar with flat files, they can, when people start putting commas in their company names when they register, throws off every field. So I, uh, as people started adopting that system and using it, I spent my whole days opening the file, like taking out commas. <laughs> and then I realized I was onto something. And so my customers were using this as a great community building tool. And then one day, uh, people from all over the world started calling me and asking, could they could they join the marketplace? And I'm like, well, if you're not my software customer, it's you know thousand dollars a year for a subscription. People are wiring money, and I realized that I was in I was in the business. 
and um, uh, I, so I, I sold the CAD software business, focused on the internet marketplace business. I uh, ran that for 13 years, grew that up to be a pretty okay. big business all around the world. Um, sold part of that in 2006 to Jeff Bezos, 2007, sold another chunk to Fidelity. Uh, 2013, I sold the rest to a private equity group and took a year off. And, uh, and then I started two companies, Fast Radius and Ziki. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a heck of a run so far. It's been, I've been really fortunate, you know, and uh, uh, just all doing things that I, that I love to do and having an idea and having enough ignorance to run with it. Never right. wrote a never wrote a business plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I, the thing is, I think if you can find like the, the proper marketplace, that's, that's really the key thing, right? Like you mm -hmm. can, be not not even also the best at a lot of things like say for instance like for me like i i, I personally feel like i have a sales deficiency but like mm -hmm. if you're in a marketplace where it's a hot market like you don't have to be the best salesman you just have to no. be able to deliver right yeah and, and from there it'll work out years ago i read the, the only well I've, I've read about one chapter of a sales book and i remember <laughs> it very well it was about john patterson and john patterson had founded ncr national cash register and uh, the name of the book, I think, was called "The Greatest Salesman That Ever Lived" or something. Oh. And, and 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 in the very first chapter, it, he talks about people love to buy, they hate to be sold, mm. right? And and so when you have a product that is compelling, you don't have to sell. We have yeah. a value proposition that's compelling. People buy, right? Yeah. And people hate to be sold. And so I, I I think that's part of the reason for your success is you're not trying to sell. You've just created something that is, offers intrinsic value and the people that love to buy or need to buy that, they know where to get it. Right, absolutely. Can you take us back to, to your deal with Jeff Bezos? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, so I, uh, I, to be, yeah, a little bit, I'll, I'll, I'll do the short form version. So sure. I was actually in the process of selling the business. I had gotten a call from uh, John Herstick, and John. And for the, some people may know, John Herstick is the guy that founded SolidWorks, and John mm -hmm. had sold that to Dassault. He was working for Dassault Systems, and John called me up and said, "Hey, I'm really interested in this business." And he came, and over the period of six months, we got to know each other. And he said, "You know, uh, Dassault would like to acquire this business," and uh, we struck a deal. And then we went through months and months and months of negotiations, due diligence, how we were going to integrate. And we were maybe two weeks away from closing. And I get a call from this guy who says, hey, I work for Jeff Bezos and he would love to meet you. And I'm like, really? Is it? So we set up a time for me to fly to Seattle. All the way there, I'm thinking, I'm getting pumped. This is because this is this is like he's punking me, and I'm going to get to Seattle, and it's going to be a big joke. So, but I go, I fly there. I remember walking in the uh, the building of Amazon, which at that time was in a hospital. Uh, Amazon had rented uh, a hospital that had been abandoned and had that for their headquarters. It was really cool. Still had up all the emergency signs and and everything there. So I go in, I go to the receptionist, receptionist, 
And uh, she's going to help you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here to see Jeff Bezos. And she goes, uh, yeah. Do you have an appointment? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, I, I think I do. Um, and so I sit down with all the people filling out applications. And they're all kind of cutting their eyes at me like, who's this guy? And then it wasn't three minutes later, his um, assistant uh, came down and said, come on, come with me. Jeff's waiting. So we went up and um, I went to this conference room. And Jeff was uh, – uh, he was like, it's so great to meet you. I'm fascinated with your business, and here's how it works. And he just started peppering me with all these questions. He's, how did you know? How did you know how to do this? How did you do it so well? What's your revenue model? How are you going to scale this thing? On and on and on. And 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 I was like, wow, this guy really is into my business. And um, we were we were probably. 30, 45 minutes. And then his handlers came. I was like, Jeff, you got to go. Said, give us, give us 10 more minutes. We just keep bat- batting. And then he, he's left. He had to go. I remember saying, Hey, can I get a photo? I'm thinking I'll never see this guy again. And so, yeah, said, yeah sure. So I wish I would have taken my visitor badge off. It would have been a more a cooler photo. But yeah. I could always try to Photoshop it. But, <laughs> but so I go back to my hotel and I'm thinking, what the hell just happened? And uh, so, I'm, so I'm just kind of sitting there and um, then the phone rings and it was his assistant again and said, hey, Jeff said for me to send you a term sheet that he wants to be in business with you. And I'm mm. like, what? She said, did you guys discuss terms? And I'm like, wasn't a mention of it. And she said, well, he, he wants to invest, be a partner or something. He, he likes you, he wants to be in business with you. And uh, I said, wow, well, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and so... <laughs> She called me back and said, uh, if it's okay, I'll just get with your CFO and get some numbers and we'll make an offer. And uh, you can sell, you know, some portion of the business to Jeff. And I'm like, I, that's really flattering, but I can't because I'm, I'm, I, I'm under, I, I can't. I didn't tell him why, because I was under NDA with that. So that I'm not supposed to be sharing it at that point in time. Right. Gotcha. And um and so she says, okay. So she tells him, she calls him back. Says, he said he's not taking no for an answer. <laughs> so we, we volleyed it back. I'm like, fine. If you guys want to make an offer, make an offer. So so they got some numbers. They made an offer. It was very generous. And, and But I still said, no, uh, I, I can't. And um, then two days later, Jeff calls me and says, hey, I'm just, I've cleared some time on my calendar. I don't know why you don't want to work with me. He's like, I know how to scale an internet business. I, I get what you're doing. Uh, and, and the reason he knew so much was his engineers at Blue Origin in the early days were using my service to get their parts made. Uh-huh. And, 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 and he, they had told him all about it. And he had kind of used it under one of their names. So, so I, I said, look, Jeff, the reason I'm declining, not because I don't want to be in business with you. I'm selling the business. And now it's in about 10 days. And he said, oh, hell no. He said, this business is still embryonic. Why would you sell it? He said, if you truly want to sell this business, I'll pay you $5 million more than whatever they're paying you and hire you to run it for me. He said, but wouldn't that be dumb with all the upside potential? I'm like, hmm. He said, why don't you? He said, first of all, why were you? Why are you selling the business? And I'm like, well, I never raised any money. I've used all my own funds. I've got like my house is mortgaged. I got eight credit cards. I got you know all this stuff that you do when you run a business. Sure. And I haven't been taking much money out of the business. So to get a nice paycheck from selling the business is nice. 
So he said, why don't you give me a number and you take some money off the table that satisfies your financial needs. And then, and, and, and then, and I'll buy that much from you and then keep the rest and we'll grow this thing. Well, shit, that makes sense. So I called my lawyers and said, what do I do? And they said, well, you better call up the, the people that are buying you and, and find a way. So I, did. <laughs> I said, I have seller's remorse. Um, myself and my team have decided we are not excited about joining your company. And before we close the deal, we feel like you should know that. And so um, uh, we went back and forth and we, we volleyed it for a while. And they were like, oh, you just want a better offer. You're trying to get more money. I'm like, I'm not trying to get more money. This is, you know. So they ultimately rescinded their offer, and I, I did the deal with them, uh, with Jeff, and uh, Jeff was a was, was a great partner, and uh, uh, we got together for quarterly dinners for four or five years. So, really, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, realistically, there's a lot of lot of great business people out here that you know don't necessarily have the, like publicity of like Jeff. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that you definitely fall into that category. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think we'll also give you one more, one more interesting but, story there. But one of the reasons that I was reluctant to back out of the deal of selling it is my employees knew they were going to be cashing in their stock options, right? They were all like already like looking at cars and whatever. And I told Jeff, this is an issue, man. And so he chipped in $2 million for me to hand out as bonuses of which he got zero equity for just wow. because he didn't want any of the employees to feel slighted because the sale didn't go through. So they mm-hmm. all got the same or more than um, what they would have gotten had the sale gone through. Anyway, wow. my, my point there was incredibly generous guy and thought about, thought about every one of those people. So. That's awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah. And really just being able to, you know, have that experience with somebody who's operating at that level and, mm-hmm. and to be able to, you know, meet you do your quarterly quarterly dinners. Yeah. And then I'm assuming, right. There's some, some type of, uh, you know, business conversation going on with like how, how the co- company is currently operating. Cause you stayed yeah. and operated that company at that point. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, <coughs> I'll, I'll say, there are times where I would come to him with you know, a strategy challenge or something, and I would talk it through, and he's listening, he's listening. And um, I get there, and he goes, hmm, what do you think? And I would say, well, here's my gut. And he said, trust your gut. Trust your gut. Trust your instincts. That's why I invested in you. You know what you're doing. So I have to say, there wasn't, there weren't a lot of times that I got incredible wisdom, but, but maybe I got validation. <laughs> of what yeah. I was thinking. But most of the time he was just like, trust your instincts. I, 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 I trust you to you know, do it. So. That's super cool. Yeah. So how, I guess, how did that business end up transpiring as you, as you moved on? Yeah. So I, um, it was, in, I remember it was in 2012. I had turned 50 years old and I went to get my um, fiscal. And it turned out I had cancer. Oh, wow. And it was to wake up from a colonoscopy and, and here you've got cancer. It's a pretty, um, it's, a rude, it's a rude awakening to say the least. Yeah. So after that, it took me a couple of surgeries. I was lucky. I was lucky, obviously, that we, we caught it early enough. We were able to cut out 
cut part of my colon out and do everything that I was like, but I was, but going through those surgeries and all that, I was away from the business about four and a half months. Yeah. And, and I was just, well, when it was time to go back, I just realized I, I wanted to do something different. When you've been running something and going so hard for 13 years, it, it had taken a toll on me, especially with a global operation. And so I realized I, I didn't want to do that. And, and, and quite frankly, the business had done, had figured out how to do well without me, which was actually a good thing to see. And, um, you know, fresh ideas. Um, I, I have this belief that a, that a, a CEO is probably not good in a, in a business for more than 10 years. Because I think you need some fresh perspective after after that, and and it wasn't what I intended, but I saw that they were doing just fine. I, I wanted a fresh challenge. I didn't know what that was, but I felt like having caught the cancer, beat the cancer. I had a new lease on life. I had made some money, um, and so I just took a year and figured it out. And, and it just you know, as, as I thought about what do I really, and, and I sold the rest of my stock to a private equity firm during that time. And, and, and I thought about what do I really enjoy? And I was thinking back to the days when I was a machinist and how much I had loved that. And uh, I thought, well, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And um, uh, it, it's, it'll, it'll probably never be as big of a business as some of the others that I've built, but it's a passion and it's something I enjoy. Um, right. And so uh, it turned out that Ziki has become a pretty decent size business by by default. But I started that, but I also started Fast Radius simultaneously. And um, Fast Radius is a 3D printing business that I started in partnership with um, Stratasys and UPS. Right. And that came about um, John Hurston, who had started Stratasys, who I met, oh, SolidWorks that I mentioned earlier. And Scott Crump, who founded Stratasys, who was the guy that sort of invented FDM 3D printing, we're in Atlanta one night. We, we went out for a beer, and Scott Crump was like, what are you working on these days? And I'm like, we'll start this CNC machining business because it's what I enjoy. He goes, how about starting a 3D printing business? And I said, well, I wasn't thinking about it. And um, then he told me that he had some unique technology in his R&D lab, and he wanted an entrepreneur to create a business around that technology so that he could then acquire it. Uh, that if he tried to take that technology and do a startup internally, it might not be as successful because um, the people working inside of a corporation typically aren't that entrepreneurial. And if they are, they're bound by the rules of the corporation. So it's hard to, hard to innovate and do stupid things, try crazy things inside of a corporation. Gotcha. So, so I started Fast Radius, and part of the thesis of that was to have lots of 3D printers embedded at logistics hubs around the world to build a connected additive manufacturing cloud in order to facilitate digital virtual inventory. Mm. So SKUs that don't exist until someone orders them, and then they get mm. printed in a box and delivered. Yeah. So, so I built that in, uh, in partnership with, with UPS. Gotcha. And, I sold, and then I sold my share, my, my portion of that business in 2018. Gotcha. With starting multiple companies at one time, did you operate those companies as separate companies? I did. I did because Fast Radius was it was intended to be sold sold to Stratasys. Was the, didn't didn't work out because they got themselves in a bit of a trouble. They bought MakerBot, messed up their their market cap, etc. Um, but yeah, I ran them as separate businesses because Ziki was always intended for me to be the owner and run it. I have 
no, no partners, no board of directors, no investors, no debt, create no business. And yeah. then Fast Radius was intended to be sold. So I kept them as separate businesses. Yeah. I mean, that make, <clears throat> that definitely makes sense, especially too. It seems like their, their business models are like quite a bit different from one another as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I could see like if you operated both of them together, if, if, you know, you were basically doing 3d printing alongside of like your CNC mm -hmm. where basically you're just a, a 3d print printing manufacturer in a sense. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. They do coexist quite well. I mean, even today with Ziki, we, we machine a lot of metal 3d printed parts and we don't have metal 3d printers in house, but our customers will ask us to handle the whole thing and then we'll outsource the metal 3d printing. And, and, and the reason is I've, I've yet to see a metal 3d printed part that didn't get machining after it was printed. Right. Cause you're always establishing datums or putting your holes in it or threads or, you know, truing up a bore. And so, so they do coexist, but additive, uh, in uh, in general, is an easier business than CNC machining, particularly okay. in the polymer side of things. A little, a lot more to know on the metal side. What where do you see the advantage of doing the three D metal printing versus just CNCing the whole thing? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a that's a great question that that uh, is that everyone should understand the answer to because it's, it's so. I always say if it can be machined, you should machine it absolutely. Where you get the advantages from 3D printing, particularly in metal, is by taking advantage of geometry that you cannot machine. As an example, uh, the, one of the famous examples is GE has a fuel nozzle for their LEAP engine. And through that fuel nozzle, they have printed like venturis, so passages that get uh, smaller and bigger. It's, there's no way you can drill that or machine that inside of a part, right? Yeah. But what that does is it helps atomize the fuel better, mm -hmm. which, which which results in a, a significant fuel uh, fuel savings. Like, mm -hmm. they, I, think they, I think they claim 18 to 20 percent better fuel utilization. Wow. So, and then and then injection molding, conformal cooling, printing in cooling lines that run through the injection mold that actually conform. To the geometry, so there's sort of snaking cooling channels inside of a part. No, no way you can do that. Hypersonic component, hypersonic missile components uh, can build in baffles and things that will dissipate the shock wave. No way to get in there and machine those. Rocket companies are printing rocket casings, and instead of having fuel lines that are sort of attached to the outside of the case, they're just printing channels through the part for the fuel to run through. Uh. So it minimizes assembly, but it also that fuel running through the casings helps cool it down. Yeah. So that, that's just but a few. But those are the types of things where 3D printing and metal really makes sense. But if you're trying to take a machined part and say, oh, can I print it? You can. But the economics are not going to work. The right. only way the economics work is if it's giving you value in some other way. Gotcha. Yeah. It has to be, like you said, something that the CNC machine can't do, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, absolutely. So going back into to your trigger to becoming an entrepreneur, can you dive back into that, that process a little bit more? In, into becoming one? Yeah. 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 yeah back yeah, back when um, when I was at the airline and, and, and uh, I had some folks reach out to me about starting this CAD software business. And um, it was started off as a reseller business. They had a uh, they had 
lot of CAD customers and they didn't really have anyone supporting them very well. And so they wanted to go to sort of a dealer model. And uh, so I, I, when I quit the job at the airline, I inherited about 2000 customers. And, um, you know, I, I bought a, I bought, you know, quit, I bought a laptop and I start um, uh, contacting these customers. And the real value there is a lot of them were on software maintenance. So most, most of them were. And I think they were paying about a thousand dollars a year, and 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 I, and I believe as the dealer, I was getting 35 percent margin on that. So I thought this is a really unique opportunity to quit my job at the airline, inherit about two million dollars of revenue with about six hundred six hundred to seven hundred thousand of gross margin to build a business off of, and then you know hire some people and build that up, and then. Uh, and then sell um, uh, new software and training and stuff like that on top of it. So it quickly turned into, uh, you know, probably a three and a half, four million dollar business with 30 percent, probably at the end of the day, 30, 35 percent gross margins and wow. 18 percent the bottom you know bottom line margin. So it sort of turned into a really nice business. And then that parlayed into, uh, into MFG.com. MFG.com, I took all that money that I made in that business and poured it in, plus a lot more. Uh, back in the early days of the internet, right? We didn't yeah. have what we have today. We didn't have, you know, Amazon, the EC2, Elastic Computing Cloud, or Amazon Web Services. Uh, you had to buy your own servers and your backup devices, and you have a, had to have an IT team managing those servers 24 hours a day, and you had to have redundancy in different places, especially if you were global. So it was really expensive to get into the internet business, uh, and, and so I, I spent, you know, probably three, three, three million dollars just getting infrastructure in place to really launch the business properly. Uh, and so I, I was, and you know, I probably sh should have, could have, I don't know, raised money back in that early two thousands, but I didn't know how. And I, and I felt like it was easier for me to get it running, uh, generate revenue from the business. I'd sell a, I'd sell a subscription and buy a chair and sell another one and buy two staplers and just growing it that way. But there were some there were some tough times. There were some tough times. I, I remember I remember going to the hospital like in the middle of the night with a panic attack or I thought I thought I was having a heart attack. Went to the went to the hospital and uh, I get there. And they're like, "You're you're not having you're not having a heart attack. You have stress." And I'm like, "Yeah, payroll's due in two days, and I'm eighty grand short." You know, uh, so ultimately it worked out. I I found the way to pull in some advanced revenue and get some customers to pay early and stuff. But um, uh, there was a there was there was a lot of stress along the way, and I'm sure anyone who's built a significant business has can can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Businesses do not go linear. Mm, yeah, one hundred one percent. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that's in my mind now is like we've we've grown very aggressively over the past uh, three years, and I'm not gonna say that I need a break from the growth, but I need a break from the growth. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just like let things be a little bit like smoother, a little bit more predictable. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe let there let there uh, be a little bit more money sitting in the bank versus just like okay we have money let's invest it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's that, that that's a hard thing to do when there's opportunity confronting you, right? Yeah. But it is a very good discipline to have and to implement, right? You don't want to miss opportunities, but at, at some point, you don't want to burn out yourself, burn out your team, right? Or let the quality of your service suffer. So, and and yeah. and I can say that speaking from someone who's been through that cycle before, <laughs> where <laughs> where you know you you. Because as you grow and, 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 you know, things become a little more disorganized, uh, it consumes more cash, there's more risk out there, uh, more communication to do with, with internal people, with customers, et cetera. And what, what I have learned and some of it learned the hard way is there are times where you do need to plateau for a year and then work on systems and processes, training, uh, those types of things. And, and then and then get yourself ready to take off exponentially again, because I, I I think your intuition is right. If you stay on that growth curve, then some of the foundation doesn't get in place to facilitate even better growth. Yeah, and uh, and, and it's really hard because if you get too far along, that people have that saying. It's like trying to change the wings on an airplane while it's flying. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Better to land, land, change the wings, and take off again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like for us, like <clears throat> it's been this year. We what I would consider we just reached uh, organizational size, where like we essentially have departments of, of each mm -hmm. kind. And um, you know, now that we've gotten to the point where those departments uh, are, are set up, now it's a matter of like kind of like like you said, fortifying those departments and making the making them stronger, putting more procedures in place. Like there's been a lot of things. It's like we built procedures as, as we've gone, but then yeah. like, even like this year, like I pretty much led our sales and I'm not a sales guy and not had any sales experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean like really having a, a, a true understanding like this year alone that like lead generation is its own thing. Like, you know, doing things like email campaigns, you know, social media marketing, like, all mm -hmm. these different, especially on the sales side of things, not as much on the marketing things. The marketing things I've, I've understood much mm -hmm. better and kind of from the beginning, but definitely on like the sales side of things, like doing the things like email campaigns and like using external lead gen services, yeah. doing uh, just different sales initiatives, right? Uh, you know, LinkedIn, we've been using LinkedIn since day one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess for like transparency, like we've used LinkedIn almost primarily up until, I mean, realistically in the past like six months, maybe. Sure. So it's been all LinkedIn and, and, you know, like, I guess like one thing that I didn't, didn't really realize is like email campaign stuff and like, you know, getting lead lists and, and emailing lead lists. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really know that was a thing. And in my mind, actually, I kind of looked at it as like a, almost like a negative thing. Right. Like it's I was just, like, it's hard yeah. to break through the noise with those things though. Cause it's, a, you know, but, but, but yeah, there's, I mean, you never know where you're going to find your next customer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, for us, it's like, now it's like also creating like diversification, mm -hmm. so like, okay, everything came from LinkedIn. What if LinkedIn shuts down tomorrow? Yeah. And what, you know, sure. um, yeah, luckily now we're just now starting to get like what I would consider like repeat customers and having like enough of a customer list where it's like, okay, maybe this customer doesn't buy this year, but they buy next year. Right. Right. And so we've just now reached an age where like, that's a thing which is extremely helpful. It is. And, 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 I, and I bet one of the things you're going to find is as time goes on, 
your customers that are just you know love you and are evangelists, some of those customers are going to leave that company and go to another company and then bring mm-hmm. you in. And there's a point in a business where that that creates a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it takes a few, it takes a few years for that to happen, but then yeah. people start leaving and then they just bring you to their next place and to their next place. And it just begins this really interesting snowball effect. And I've watched it happen multiple times in, in my companies and, and in companies that I've been invested in or on the board of, I've seen that. So I, I think uh, this curve happens of customer acquisition. And then there hits a point in time where you don't really have to do anything in marketing because yeah. the, the pull just becomes so great from your past ref- past work of building it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, honestly, like, and all the reason I'm, I'm, I'm discussing all these things is there's somebody else out there probably wanting to start up. Yeah, this. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it's good. It's good for everyone to, to hear. So. so I came from a company that like at the stage of that company, whenever I came on, they was already to a point of they just had those repeat customers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have any outside sales, inside sales, whatever you want to call it. Right. But um everybody was a repeat customer. And so therefore they didn't have a sales process. So therefore I wasn't really able to experience the sales process mm-hmm. and or understand how much of a grind that initial sales process can be. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. No, and, and it's a common thing that happens, right? Because <clears throat> a lot of times entrepreneurs start a business because they're very good at some skill. They're very good at something, right? Yep. Welding, machining, automation, you name it. And, and, and they just haven't had the luxury of seeing business full circle, whether, you know, whether it's in the finance and accounting department or, or with a legal department, uh, marketing, sales, whatever it is. And so that's one of the things where you, you're really good at your skill and your craft, and then you're learning all those other things on the fly. And, yeah. and one of the skills I think that entrepreneurs, real successful entrepreneurs develop is to realize they're not going to be good at all those other things, mm-hmm. but become really good at hiring the people who are, right? And managing those people, right? What are your What are your thoughts on the level of, of of like skills that you should learn within the business before it makes sense that you're just kind of wasting your time mm-hmm. learning too much about that thing? Yeah, I I. I so my my theory has always been I wanted to know a little bit about everything that's going on right mm-hmm. um, in the business. Like I'm I'm decent with accounting and finance, but there's people that are better than me. Same thing with same thing with marketing. I I know I know marketing and social media, but there's people that are better. They do it, and and and, and I think I like to know enough that I know how to ask the right questions, right? Mm-hmm. And I do expect them to be better than me at it because otherwise. Yeah, they should be. It's their full time right. job, right? Yeah, and and and, and I, I think if somebody can do it eighty percent as well as you, if there's something, then you should hire them. You should hire right. somebody to do it. Nobody. So a lot, a lot of things that you do, you're going to have more attention to detail, more concern because it's your business, your money that's on the line, right? Nobody's going to be a hundred percent of you, right. but they're going to. But but there are people that'll be eighty percent. And, and, and I think if you can find somebody that will do a job or a role 80% as well, as well as you w- would do it, you should hire them because that frees up your bandwidth to do the things that only you could do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
that's that's one thing like so like me i'm like really passionate about like scaling a business and even to this point like with the growth we've had mm-hmm. we, i still don't feel like we've had exponential growth yet mm-hmm. um it's just been like grinding and we're just kind of just making it happen yeah but could, um, could be it could be a good thing right could be a yeah. good thing because it first of all you know the old cliche if it's easy everybody would do it it right. takes it takes time there's nothing that's fast in growing scaling a business because a lot of scaling does happen from that repeat customer base and that just mm. takes that just takes time right it yeah. also takes time for the team to gel and to get yeah. the right people in the right seats and then love them and keep them there but inevitably those people will leave somebody will leave right right and and that's why i, I think you know, some at some point plateauing and taking the time to do really good documentation and procedure development so that when one of those person people you know does leave whether it's they found a better job opportunity or just want something different or stay at had a child and want to stay home that it's not traumatic to the company that their yeah. role is documented yeah. it's a painful it's, a, it's it's not a fun thing to do but it's really important to have a foundation in order to continue to grow and scale the business is to having all the roles clearly defined and, and, and the position documented. hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think that there's something too, like, I mean, you know, you mentioned pretty much all the things, right? Like just to let, let your company, like you said, jail and just like Mm -hmm. kind of just get used to each other and being able to work together and, Mm -hmm almost create short languages with one another. So that way, like your communication is just faster. And yeah. or, or this, you just know this person handles this thing. And so you like, like right now, like we're still, our, our team is still all young enough together that I'm still like, Oh, did Sally Sue like <laughs> that thing that I was wanting her to do? Like, yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of us entrepreneurs are, perfectionists in a way we want everything to be perfect. Right. And, and it's, <laughs> it is difficult. Sometimes yeah. when when someone forgets to do something or doesn't quite do it the way we would have done it, but it's it's an important learning that you'll never scale if you don't learn to let that go a little bit. Yeah. Um, and your customers are probably not noticing it as much as you do. Right? Yeah, that was a hard thing for me, you know, in, in right. the early days was to learn how to let people uh, do things and and so sometimes you know they do it different than I would have done. It doesn't mean they did it the wrong way. Right. Um, just let it be, let it be okay. Other, otherwise mm-hmm. I'm going to end up doing it myself and, and I'm better off doing the things that I'm uniquely prepared for. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that one up because, uh, it's something I like very recently identified that like, I'm like analyzing, like when I do get frustrated about things within the company, like what, why am I getting frustrated? And mm-hmm. I kind of have realized almost always it's because like, I'll say it's like almost like an OCD of like, I think this should have been done this way. And not even necessarily, it's like, maybe there's a procedure to it, right? Like every time we have a customer meeting, the customer information is supposed to be mm-hmm. uh, in the in the calendar link. Our information is supposed to be in the calendar link, just so it's easier for everybody, right? We all, yeah. our whole team can access it there. The customer can access access our contents there. Um, and so like, it's something like that is like missing. I noticed like, gosh, like, how is this not done? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, those are the things where you just kind of bite your tongue and do it. That's it. <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, whoever was supposed to have done it probably notices it. Right? Oh, I should have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the big thing is like to not 
get so frustrated about it, right? Like if it's a, okay, just let, you know, just let it go and, and hey, mention it maybe. Maybe don't even, don't even mention it. That's another mm-hmm. thing that I notice I'll do a lot of is like, I'll mention things too much. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, it's kind of taken away my own bandwidth to say, because like, it's like wanting things to be perfect. And so it's like wanting to correct whatever the thing was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Stepping back. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Good. What are some other uh, valuable tips you can give to an entrepreneur? You know, I mean, I I, I think there I've got I've got a lot. So we'll we'll keep <laughs> we'll, 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 I'll just rattle through a few that come to mind sure. in a certain order. One of the, so I get a lot of calls and messages from people who want me to you know to mentor. I want to start a business. I just graduated college, and, and the initial thing that runs through my mind is you're not ready to start a business, right? Mm. I'm sure you're smart, and, and 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 I think we have this culture where a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs. They're not able to be an entrepreneur, okay. but but I think it's a really good idea to go spend some years learning your craft. Try to get some opportunities learning other roles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe work in maybe work in finance a bit, maybe work in sales for a bit, yeah. Work in the factory some, right? Um, do those things in order to get the skills. Then I, I think when you go to start a business and be an entrepreneur, you'll be much more well-rounded and not and not you know sort of lopsided in your in, in your skills and your experience. And so I, I know we have an impatient society today and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and everybody wants instant gratification, but I think it's worth it to get some years of experience inside of other businesses, watching how yeah. they're run and how they're done and learning what they do well and what they don't do well. Yep. So, so I think, yeah, so that's why another one I think is people will I'll hear say, Oh, I'm trying to come up with this genius idea. I'm trying to come up with something that you know nobody's done yet, or whatever. And 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 I, and I think you don't have to. You just take everything and do it well. I once had an employee who came to me and said he was quitting to start his own business, and he was a he was a he was a really good uh, programmer, DBA, database guy. And I said, "What are you going to do?" And he said, ah, "I don't even really want to tell you. You're probably going to laugh at me." And I'm like, "I'm not going to laugh at you." He said, "I'm going to put up fences." Mm. And he said, my wife and I have been trying to get a fence up for our backyard. He said, we had to call five people before somebody would come out and get us a quote, give us a quote. He said, and then we wanted to place the order, and we had to chase them in order to, to get them to take our order. Then they didn't show up when they were supposed to. They were weeks late. They left a mess when they finished. He said, so my wife and I decided we're going to create a fence business and we're going to show up when people call for a quote. Mm. We're going to give a quote back within 24 hours. We're going to show up when we agreed to to install the fence. And when we're done, we're going to clean up and send a thank you note. Mm. Yep. And, 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 and the guy went on and developed an incredible business. It's a pretty big business today, putting wow. up fences. So wow. I put in, you don't have to do anything incredibly unique or reinvent something. Just take something and do it well. Yeah, I, I, I was listening to like an audio book or something like that over the past few weeks, and it was like, basically, if you can if you can start a business, obviously execute on that on the business and do it twenty percent better than your competitor, mm-hmm. then you're then you're win, you're, you're, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so the, it's just, you know, there's a lot of sucky service out there today. People that just mm-hmm. don't follow through very well. So, so I, so I think I'll tell people, you know, don't, you don't have to invent something that's never been done before. Just take something that you know, or you experience that is lacking and do it and just do it well, mm-hmm. you know, just do it well. And, you know, another, another piece of advice I, I often give is, is that minimum viable product idea we talked about very early on, mm-hmm. whether it's a product or a service, you know, don't try to perfect it before you launch it. Mm. Because if you spend way too much time trying to get everything buttoned up and perfect, the moment that you get it to the market, it's going to change. And that will have been wasted time. Mm. So I think just get to the market and then, you know, I'll, I'll use the saying, you, you got to, you got to prove the dogs will eat the dog food, right? If you put it out there, is it, is the market going to consume whatever it is you're trying to sell them? Mm. If they don't, then tweak it until you find it. Right. And so, as, you know, I, I've done quite a bit of, of, in, of investing in, in small businesses and startups. And um, one of the things that I've learned along the way is to not invest until the entrepreneur has figured that out. What is it that's going to resonate? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I really like to see them use their energy, their money, to get the minimum viable product going. Just mm-hmm. show me a taste of it that somebody has paid you money for what you want to what you want to do, and that you were able to successfully deliver that, even on a small scale. And then I believe if I invest or somebody invests that you can then take that and scale it right and 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 but I, but i really think it's important for the entrepreneur to have skin in the game in that iteration phase to figure out what is their offering to the market yeah uh, and, and just zigzag in very small bites until customers start start biting they start buying yeah uh, you know so I, I i i don't like to see one where people say um, they haven't sold anything yet. Yeah. Not a good sign, right? Not a good, yeah. show me some POs, show me some successful, you know, they might be $1,000 deals, right? Right. But you showed me that somebody, somebody bought it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one, like you said, just being able to exhibit that you can sell whatever that product is. But the other thing that I've noticed when having, larger inflows of money, we tend to not spend that money as wisely. Mm-hmm. We don't, we tend to not start spending our money wisely until we have to start spending our money wisely. Yeah, And, yeah. and it's a completely different mindset right <laughs> now. Like if we get into a position where we're getting tight on salaries and, you know, customer mm-hmm. payments, not for 60 days out, uh, you know, now it starts to become a question. What can we, can we cut back on anything? Can what, what yeah. exactly don't we need that we're doing right now that, uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or can we shift people from this department, maybe from like marketing department to sales department to, yeah. to maybe get some more immediate return on, on some of our, our labor. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. It, and, and ultimately you'll hit the point where that becomes ingrained in the culture where it is uh, consistent and not reactive. Right. Uh, again, I, I have seen that cycle. I've been exactly in that same, same spot. <laughs> And then eventually you learn, shit, this better just be part of the culture every day. It makes life a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
But but it is a problem sometimes when companies go and they raise money too quickly, hmm. and they get a lot of money in the bank hmm. from from investors, whether it's you know venture capital or angel investors or whatever, and then they take that money. And they go and they start hiring a staff, building infrastructure. They get an expensive office, and they, and next thing you know, they've got this big payroll and rent and everything else, and they still haven't sold anything. And mm -hmm. and 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 what that you you're getting getting a uh, spending that money too quickly to build, like you said, to build up an infrastructure, is 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 really a, it's really a death spiral because. You, you, you know, once what you have it, you have it. You know, you're committed to that burn rate, mm -hmm. and and that's always encourage people just be lean as hell, do everything, do your accounting, do your sales, do your marketing, do your product development with as few people as you possibly can. And once you figure out what your offering mm -hmm. is, then you can go raise money and scale the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like also, too, like after you find something that's working out well, then then it's a, it can potentially be a it's just a matter of adding adding funds behind this to multiply what we're already doing for yeah. success and and that's where investors want to invest they want to invest to see something scale they they, they don't necessarily want to invest for you to figure out what you're going to what you're going to offer right they want to, they want to invest that you you figured it out and now you need to scale it 100 times yeah absolutely yeah and in all transparency like one of my struggles on overspending mm -hmm. is definitely on employees. I always want to, as soon as we get a chunk of money, I'm always like, let's hire this person. So it opens up this capability. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a common thing to do. It's a common, because you want to have those capabilities. You want to be able to fit the needs and, and, and delight your customers. So it, it's, it, I can understand that. Mitch, do you have any uh, any other valuable tips? I mean, I know you probably have like a whole treasure chest back there. <laughs> yeah. but, um, well, I think you know. I think to that one, I think you know, uh, you know, treat treat cash wisely, avoid debt when possible. Uh, you know, well, a lot of times it's not possible. I couldn't avoid it in my first businesses, um, but I, but now that I have a business where I don't have debt, it's a whole lot more fun. Uh, right. So I, I've I've lived I've lived both. Um, and 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 I, and I think just um, you know focus intently on the customer. And I'll, so I'll leave you with. Or I'm not sure we're leaving, but I'll, I'll leave you with one parting uh, piece of advice here that I got from Jeff Bezos. And, and uh, in the early days of MFG.com and our early days after Jeff invested, I sent out a press release. We had hit some milestone. I don't know, one billion dollars in transactions processed or something about how great we are and how much we've grown. And then. Uh, Jeff called me and he's like, Hey, I saw that press release. I'm thinking he's going to say, congratulations. He said, I hope I never see anything like that again. Mm. I'm like, what? And he said, your customers don't give a damn about how big you are or how many things you've processed or that you grew this much year over year. He said, every communication that you do out should not be, it should be what you're doing for the customer. Mm. What did you do for the customer? What are you offering the customer? Don't tell them how great you are or, or what you've done or the milestones you achieved. He said, I think that's wasted communication. And so uh, it was it was a very interesting, valuable point to me. And, and as I looked back, we had put out, you know, we hit this milestone. We doubled our revenue last year. It's point your customers don't care. And that's who yeah. you're talking. That's who you're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that one that I'm gonna take that I'm gonna take that note. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your customers don't care. They, they, all they care about is what's in it for them. Hmm. Yeah. So if you added yeah. the new capability, if you added a new capability, right, that's something for your customer. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. I mean, like, even if like if you are gonna like somehow like showcase like your growth, it's like how can you angle that in a way where it's like a benefit to the customer? Yeah, by by because of this growth, we were able to add more technicians to now offer this much level of support. Yeah, right. Bam. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's like a huge thing that like. So I'm very much like when I say like uh, you know I feel like I'm good at marketing. I'm good at marketing strategy in the sense of like how we go about deploying things mm -hmm. but like this year i've i've grown so much more and part of it's marketing slash sales but like as far as like the communication and the dialogue being i guess more customer centric mm -hmm. more like value add centric versus Mm -hmm. You know, I grown X amount, right? It's a perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, one of the things I've seen people do as well is, is ask their customers, you know, why did you hire us? Hmm. And often you'll get a really good soundbite out of that. And, and if and sometimes you get a you'll get a theme, and you realize, well, shoot, that should be that should be my marketing lead. Hmm. If they if you hear enough, we hired you guys because of X. You yeah. probably will hear that multiple times and then you're like, well, that's the thing we should lead with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like <clears throat> recently I've been like doing a lot of digging on like uh, on audio books for like sales. Cause I just want to sharpen the skill. And, mm -hmm. uh, and also we just brought on an external lead gen service. Mm -hmm. um, and like through that process, you know, the questions came like, um, like testimonials and stuff like that. And like, mm -hmm. you know, why do people use you guys as a service? And I'm like, like, wow, like these are really things that I haven't put too much energy into. These are yeah, things yeah. that I really haven't requested from our customer. Yeah. And so I've been like going back and kind of like, you know, diving mm -hmm. back into my memory to like, what are some of the experiences? What are some of the things that I've heard? Um, mm -hmm. And like, say versus one of them that like, it kind of came to my memory, right? It's not even necessarily something that was happened very immediately uh, in the past, but hearing multiple customers uh, saying that we have one of the quickest response rates to any other vendor they have. And I'm That's like, okay. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I, I was like, but it was like a light bulb. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a that's a unique a new a unique value proposition or unique sales proposition. It's your USP, right? We're fast, People, right? Yeah, you, you want to have something that's different. I, I, I another one of, of I've not read that many books in my life to be honest. But one that I did another one I read years ago was by Seth Godin. And it's called Purple Cow, and uh, and it's about you know making your business stand out, different from the others, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're the if you're the same as everyone else and you're using the same pitch, you're no different, right? Yeah, and and and. and, and and, and and you get you just get mixed in, and it's hard for your customers to differentiate you. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and that, back to pick, picking a name like Ziki for a CNC machining business, right? You know, the majority of the businesses out there are you know Southwest Precision, Northern Precision, Absolute Precision, and and, and they're they're all the same. How do you differentiate it? So I went, you know, so part of picking a name that's or a name that's brandable or or, or a mantra that's brandable or something that 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 makes you unique, you know, like, yeah. like, uh, you know, you got for domain names, you got GoDaddy, right? Nothing about domain name. 
Yeah. But it's memorable, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got kind of a funny story about that. I, <laughs> I don't know if I can get into it, but put it this way. My, my girlfriend said, was GoDaddy.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah. There was something I had in my mind that I, oh well. Um oh yeah, I was gonna ask, what what are your what have you uh used to like learn through your business processes? Mm-hmm. Is it like books, I mean like mentors, what yeah, so the best thing that ever happened to me it was probably 20 years ago. I joined an uh, entrepreneur organization, and it's EO is the group, and it there's members and chapters all around the world. And, and in Atlanta, there's a couple hundred members, but then there's forums, and, 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 in, and in my forum, there's 10 people, and, and we're all in different businesses so nobody's competitive and we get together once a month for three hours and people in this very closed environment where what's said in the room stays in the room and because no one is competitive people feel free to share their struggles with their business life their struggles with their personal life things that are going on in your head that you don't want to tell your employees. You don't want to tell your customers. You probably don't want, man, sometimes you don't even want to discuss it with your spouse. Right. And that joining that group where you got nine other entrepreneurs to bounce things off of and run through challenges of, of growing infrastructure, capital. It's been just incredibly, incredibly valuable. And, and, and when we started, we were all pretty green. And um, yeah. we're all pretty green, and uh, and today everybody's got a, you know, had multiple multiple businesses and successes, and so now it's more of a social group than it is a learning group. Um, but but it certainly it's friends for life because we've been together and shared a lot and seen people seen each other's ups and downs and everybody's secrets and. So. Yeah, yeah, that's super powerful. Yeah. I, I definitely got to look into like seeing if yeah. I can get involved in something like that. Look it up. It's just EO uh, entrepreneur organization. I'm sure that I'm sure there's one in Indiana okay. and you know, just join a forum and you'll meet some other cool people and uh, everybody's helping everybody out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can I get even imagine like if you were in that for like five years and then you're like, Hey, I'm dealing with this issue. And then even somebody in that group, like, remember you dealt, we dealt with the same thing like two years ago, or you dealt with that same thing like three years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, exactly. And, and there's a format to the meetings and, and everybody gives, you know, updates on their business uh, and, and, and you set goals for your business, whether it's revenue or whatever the goal is, or I'm going to put these processes in place. And you tell this group, this group helps hold you accountable. Next meeting, we see your progress. Let me mm. see your numbers. We see your, we see your books, where, how your finances is looking. Mm. <laughs> so it's a really good peer group to help hold you accountable. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And and then and then when you have issues, you pre- present them, and then the uh, uh, nine people help you brainstorm through them, and it's really powerful. Absolutely, huh? One hundred percent going to look into that one. Yeah. Um, Mitch, where can people find you at? Well, ziki.com is a good one. Zyci.com and just Mitch at ziki.com is the best way and i'm obviously i'm on linkedin and, and a lot of other places and so 
uh, always love connecting and um, sharing stories and helping out where I can. Thank you, Mitch. I'm definitely <laughs> super honored to have you on our show. Um, I could probably, I could probably make this a three hour podcast if you'd let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do it. We could do it. <laughs> Well, it's been it's been my pleasure, and uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. You know, I meet, met you in Chicago at IMTS and uh, learned more about your business and your passion. And uh, I, I, you're you're an you're an impressive guy, and I and I look forward to watching you continue to run around the track and set new records as well. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All righty, take care. <laughs>